Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. This is our 25 to 30 minute podcast where we talk about new ideas, new concepts, and new ways of engaging and elevating the customer experience in the dining and their out of uh, home and restaurant dining. I'm here with Greg Kiris. Greg, how are you doing today? Great. Great. And Jay Alley. Jay Alley's always great. We know that, Jay. Very good. Thank you, sir. Good. Listen, we want to jump right in this week. This is our uh, our next episode of Every Other Thursday. And Greg, what have you got for us? What's the new idea, the new concept that you're bringing to us today? Well, credit goes where credit's due. I, uh, something caught my eye in the New York Times food section several months ago. And what it is, it's a platter, if you can imagine, with notches down both sides. And this platter is made specifically for kebabs, serving kebabs. And I think it's a great idea, and, and, and it, uh, it really illustrates uh, some points that we've been talking about. You know, for the food service uh, restaurant tabletop, you're, you hear something that, you know, there's a, that's going on. There's a lot more kebabs. There's a lot more emphasis on ethnic foods, ethnic cuisine. And so here, this is something that saw, serves a, a purpose. It fulfills a need. Uh, how else are you going to serve these things? Are the notches so that they hold the skewers? Exactly. Exactly. You can you can line this you can line the scores up along the platter with the um, scores uh, held in place in these notches along the sides. Um, you know this doesn't take any training. Uh, it's uh, easy as easy to store as any other platter, um, and the uh, guest immediately gets it. This looks great, it, and it clears up a lot of clutter on the tabletop. It, it serves some purposes, and I can even I can see from the uh, from the illustration that there's some uh, open space uh, beyond the notches on both ends, and you could you know put some some uh, so, you know perhaps uh, condiment dish there. Uh, it's just it's a great idea. I think that uh, that really touches on a lot of things that we've been talking about. Well, I really always like uh, you know specialty serving pieces because they really highlight the dish. They give a chance for the restaurateur to merchandise the dish, and it's not really a lot different, uh, Jay, than maybe like your Glencairn glass in the Stozel range, where it gives really a chance to merchandise. In that case, the beverage, but uh, in this case, the kebabs. I think it goes back to the things we've been talking about about just creating a unique guest experience. I mean, if you serve that kind of food in your restaurant, I, w- I would think in some of the Greek restaurants and places like that, it'd be, be a, a neat little item. Yeah, I think I, I, as, since it's a platter, how, approximately how big is the platter that you saw, Greg? From what I can tell, the, the dimensions aren't given, but from, from, the, uh, from the illustration, it looks like uh, 12, 14 inches long, something like that. Pretty big. So maybe as a manufacturer, somebody might want to come with an 8-inch one or, or um 
you know, something a little bit smaller so it can fit in the, because I'm guessing this would be used as a, a sort of a share plate as well. Well, the one I'm sure that's illustrated was for uh, retail, and I'm sure it's a share plate, and you could do something with the, with the maybe just two notches on each side for uh, for uh, single servings for uh, for for uh, retail uh, for uh, food service guests. Um, it's, it's it's a simple concept. I think that that somebody could manufacture something like this quite easily. There might be other retail products out there already like it. It's something that you're probably not going to. Uh, 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 there's not going to be huge demand for it, but there's, but again, there's, a, there's this whole, whole growing area. Kebabs are a big thing. Ethnic foods, ethnic cuisine. It serves a purpose that reduces clutter. It looks good. You know what I think too, uh, because sometimes tooling and on the ceramic side, tooling and everything else costs a lot of money. And it's probably, as you say, not going to be the highest volume item. I'm wondering if some uh, studio potter, can't create something like this uh, in a very short, you know, uh, you know, several dozen piece run kind of thing. Uh, and it can be done even on a localized basis and, uh, and bring that, that kind of element to the tabletop as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but I can, but this could even be, you know, we're looking at, we're talking, I think a lot here about independence, but uh, on a, on a chain wide basis, I think that probably a lot of uh, restaurant chains are uh, are thinking about what they can do, how they can monop or you know uh, get into this whole uh, exploit the whole craze towards uh, ethnic. Well, this might be a great opportunity. Great opportunity. Yeah, I just love it. I just love it when there's a special piece that helps merchandise the the the, uh, <clears throat> the menu item or the beverage or whatever. It, it makes it a little bit more uh, entertaining. Uh, it engages the guest a little bit more. Also, it's one of those things where Greg, going back to something you said in, in one of our prior episodes, it really gives a chance for the dealer salesperson to engage the operator in a in a, in a unique discussion. And it, and it may not be an item that's for everybody, but boy, uh, at least you're bringing them new fresh uh, ideas to their uh, for their tabletop well and if somebody's going to be making something like this like i mentioned there's it looks like there's some uh, space on both ends and somebody could have and then when you think about serving kebabs a lot of times they might be having a tzatziki sauce or piri piri or chimchurri all these kind of sauces you could have some condiment containers that would be that would fit Right there. So here's somebody bringing out this platter with uh, with uh, the kebabs and then the sauces. It's all self-contained, neat, works real well, looks great presentation. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think there might be even a chance to decorate it a little bit, and uh, whether it be a glazed decoration or, or some sort of added color after the fact. Uh, I, you know, I think kebabs are interesting because you can put so many different items and you can have different variations on them. And to have something that really lines it up and merchandises it with the skewers, got to be a home run. I think so. Okay, well, that's our idea for the week, kebabs. We're to, who's to, who thought in these holidays we'd be talking about kebabs? Huh? That's great. I love it. Um, let's take a break right now, and we're going to come back with our roundtable. We've got one of I, what I, a couple of topics I want to uh, go over, and I think they're going to be some of the, the best topics we've had so far. So uh, we'll be back in a minute. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. 
Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Okay, we're back now, and uh, who knew that we would have such a conundrum with kebabs, huh, in, the, in our opening segment? That was a great segment, and thanks, Greg, for bringing that one. We're looking forward to uh, the next one, but the kebabs, uh, kebabs are always a hit, and whether it's on the consumer side or the restaurant side, I think that that's, that plate, that serving plate, uh, really can, can add a lot, so... Uh, in our roundtable today, I want to get right into it because uh, this is something that, uh, Jay, you and I have talked about before, and it's the, this whole issue of commission sales reps in the food service tabletop business and the relationship they may uh, have with their factories. Uh, why don't you give us uh, the lay down on that and uh, um, your thoughts? So we, we'll, we'll tag this segment as uh, the discussion about the last gunfighters in America. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 to me, it's a, a critically important situation because there's a lot of things happening uh, in that particular uh, way that you know factories are represented. I mean, unless you have the, the money to have nothing but a factory-dedicated sales force, which would be probably, I don't know, 20, 25 people in the country, salaries, benefits, cars, all that's pretty expensive. So obviously the industry for a long time, other than regional managers that are handled by commission agents. Uh, Presents today, I think, an interesting situation. Years ago, when, when we were first in a business, David, if you had a Villarant Bach or you had a, a Dutson or a, a Rosenthal, you could not have any other China line in your bag. That, that ship sailed. I mean, there's reps today that have multiple China lines, multiple glass lines, I'm assuming multiple flatware lines, and probably there's nothing that's excluded. They probably have a some sort of a competitive duplicating kind of a product in almost every area of, uh, of merchandise that they represent. So, you know, it's interesting. The way I look at it as a sales manager for a company, how do I get my commission guys to, to pull my stuff out of the bag? Not, not necessarily first, because sometimes the sales calls, it could be a table, you know, a table and chair presentation. So probably going to have a hard time talking about dinnerware and glasses and knives and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, everybody's got good products today. Everybody's got good prices. You know, how, how do we get the attention of the, the rep, the consumer, the dealer, all that good stuff. I'll, I'll interrupt. I'll interrupt you for a second. You're being way too kind. Uh, the the calls that I get are they could uh, when you're a manufacturer, you're trying to get more of the the sales reps' attention. You could pay your commissions on time. How about that? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And you can pay your. Commissions. I hear that a lot these days. What's going on, manufacturers? Yep, and you could pay your commissions accurately. Yeah, that too. But getting back, getting back to to the to the independent rep thing. First of all, you know, you got to understand what what you have when you hire an independent rep. You got a highly motivated professional, probably makes a lot of money. Uh, because of the combination of all of his lines and uh, you know, so how, how are you going to get his or her attention so that they show your products uh, in a friendly to your company? And, and I think that, I think that coupled with the fact that uh, one of the things that concerns me, I'm a senior citizen and, and I've been in the business for a long time. And unfortunately the, the old guard is, is dying off. And uh, I think that, that they're not being replenished on a one-for-one -one basis. So I think what's happening in our industry today is it's not only hard to find independent commission reps that are willing to, to take on your line, it's hard to find good commission reps, not to disparage them, but uh, the talent pool is, is getting really small. So that's a, another area of a great concern. 
No, I, I just think I, I just think it's a situation where uh, <clears throat> number one, it's like any other relationship. You want to have a lot of trust in the relationship, and if you can't, <clears throat> and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but if you can't uh, trust that uh, the manufacturer is going to pay them accurately and on time, the commissions, uh, there really isn't much else to talk about. Uh, and, and and the other thing too is, um, I don't mind the idea that they have multiple. Uh, multiple uh, competing, let's call them lines of dinner or glassware, or whatever. But uh, but I, I think that there there has to be a lot of communication, and usually the only communi- communication that I that I hear is what are your sales and how come they're not higher, uh, or uh, the only time that the rep communicates back to the uh, to the uh, manufacturer is is when they're looking for a sample or they've just got uh, secured a, a nice order or whatever. That's really it. And there has to be a lot more, I think. And I think it can't be transactional. There has to be a real partnership. And that, that seems to have gone away. No, you're, you're 100% right. Matter of fact, on notes uh, next to this topic, I had four points, you know, service, which is what are your fill rates? Can you, you know, can you get your products that your rep is representing to, into the hands of the dealers and whoever is buying it? Uh, support, which is a whole nother situation tied to customer service. And then communication, a key, and then trust, a, a, another key issue. So, you know, it's got to be a, a two-way street. The, the thing that's interesting is, like I said, we go back to the products. There's plenty of great products, plenty of great pricing. I mean, yeah, plenty of great products. Fine products. There's plenty of great products. Yeah, plenty of great products. So how how do I how do I how do I get your attention? And I think I think at the end of the day, manufacturers sometimes look through a lens that maybe is, is inaccurate about what commission reps do. Commission reps are not your catalog delivery system. So if you, if you need to get a catalog into 50 distributors hands on the territory and you say you want your rep to, to take that task on and do it, how fast can a rep drop off catalogs for just your line to 50 dealers in this territory doesn't work. So, so you have to have a system where you can take on that task as a factory and get all that new literature into the hands of, of the distributors. Uh, you know, so, so it gets into, you probably as a factory, no matter how big you are going to, going to, if you're going to provide excellent service, you're going to do things that maybe in your mind, you think, well, what am I paying a commission for? The reality of it is, is if I got a commission rep on board, I'm going to do everything I can to help him with the ancillary stuff because I want him to sell and write orders. That's why you hire him. You didn't hire him to be a catalog delivery system. You didn't hire him to be a, you know, a sample distribution guy. I mean, in general, you want an independent rep in front of customers every day, pitching your products, knowing that if he, he or she gets a, a bite on your goods, that, that they have a factory behind them that can get them samples to test, you know, pricing quickly, uh, the proper literature, and they've already done their homework and saying, yeah, if, if you tell me what the application is going to use my product in, then yes, you either have the right product or maybe I need to suggest something else out of my bag that's more appropriate. I just think that whether you have a commission rep or a factory rep, what I'm looking for, if I'm a sales manager and a manufacturer of tabletop products, I'm looking for somebody who's going to be a phenomenal customer advocate, meaning that they're going to they're going to convey the customer's needs to me, the manufacturer. They're going to tell me what we require. And if our products fit, I expect they fit those uh, those needs. Then I expect the products to be sold and then communicated about the orders. I they uh, I don't mind that if uh, I never minded if if the sales local sales rep, the commission sales rep was aggressive about pursuing uh, following up and making sure orders were fulfilled and so on and so on. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in return for that, that rep should expect that they get treated fairly, and that all involves, rep, you know, certainly paying up commissions. But they get communicated with as, I mean, because at the end of the day, 
the expectations to me are, are a lot different, whether they work for whether they're actually on my payroll or they're a commission sales rep. Correct. Would you agree with that? Yep, absolutely. And why? So why do we treat it? So so why do we we as manufacturers? I'm I'm putting myself back to the days when I was a manufacturer. Why would we treat them differently? Uh, if we could answer that, we could also time the stock market. And we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have time. We'd be so wealthy we couldn't do these podcasts. Well, but 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 and surely listen. Uh, and you know when men, when I was manage, managing manufacturers reps, I would fight and argue with them just like we would with some of our regional managers and so on. So so, but we love them too. Yep, I think well, I think sometimes you know uh, you, you sometimes can have a lazy representative, and sometimes you can have a lazy manufacturer or a lazy factory. I mean, the the, the communication part of it is is, is enormous. And uh, for instance, I mean, I don't know, you know, if you're letting reps run around without all the ammunition to put in the gun, so they can fire the shot that produces the order. Uh, you know, if they don't have all of those tools and all of that communication, constantly talking about hey, what sales have we got going on. You know, what, what are our deco programs? Do we have freight? You know, all kinds of things that we need to talk about. If they have to wonder about that while they're making a sales call or have to stop in the middle of a sales call, uh, I have to get back to you on that. Sometimes you don't get a second chance to talk to the customer. So I think that factories have to develop a, a super trust relationship with a, with a rep so they know that the, the rep has confidence that he's pretty well armed with most of the tools that the factory has at his disposal or her disposal. And then they can talk intelligently about it. I, I would say that manufacturers, tabletop manufacturers today, should spend a little bit of time listening to the local sales um, reps, the commission sales reps. Couldn't these agree people, more. These people are generally experts in their markets, and they may not be 100% right for all markets, but they have a good feel, if not a great feel, for what's going on in their particular market with their particular customers. And um, I've been fortunate enough to be invited to sit in on some uh, rep council meetings. And I got to say, some go really well, and some are just, uh, you have the feeling that, uh, you know, anything that the, that's offered up by the commission rep is just being uh, fallen on deaf ears and that commission reps seem uh, like an expense line on uh, on a PL. and i have to tell you um if you can't uh, listen you can operate on any kind of level uh, of communication even a poor level of communication but if where it operates best it seems like is there's a lot of trust a lot of communication a lot of respect back and forth absolutely and the thing is is all of us that have managed rep groups and, 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 and things of that sort i mean you got to understand something i mean these folks are the tip of your spear in the marketplace, and, and yeah, the front line—that's for sure. You brought up rep councils, and and I I, I, I say rep councils slash sales meetings. To me, a sales meeting is not having a rep spend ten minutes in your booth at the NRA show. You just wasted your time. I mean, you may you may point out something that's new and say, "Come back by, and we'll give you a more personal explanation of what this is all about." But you have to, you have to have sales meetings where you engage the rep and and make it clear very quickly that this is. This isn't a bitch session, but we want to know as an organization, you know, you, you, you made a statement about uh, how do we get them to do more business where you just can't go out there and go, well, darn it, you're not doing the volume and you need to do more business and da 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 The real attitude from a factory standpoint needs to be, how can we help you do more business? And you have to be willing to listen to legitimate uh, points of view from the sales, you know, the independent sales rep who's the street person you know, saying, hey, you're either not doing this right or you're doing this great. And uh, it has to be, you know, it has to be an open and, and unsensitive conversation. You can't take offense if a rep criticizes legitimately a certain part of your operation needs improvement. And that's where I think a lot of factories have a problem. They don't want to hear that stuff. 
So I said, you know, if, if, if an outsider was listening to this, what it really comes down to is, I think Dave kind of summarized, it's a matter of establishing trust, establishing good communication, and, and going forward and fulfilling your promises from both, from both sides. And, and I mean, these, I know that that sounds overly simplistic and that's not how the real world works a lot of times, but to strive for those, it's, it's really a simple, uh, a, a simple equation. Listen, in the, in, the, in the go forward and tabletop, I got to tell you, we keep talking about all the changes that are that are coming down the road and the fight for talent, particularly frontline talent, where, where the rubber meets the road and all these other trite sayings that you might have, where the customers are, the people that are closest to customers, they're the most important people in this whole process. And I think the commission rep has a great place to play, a great role to play, and they're invaluable. And it really, you've got to find, as a manufacturer, you've got to find the right fit. And, you know, some people fit better with other organizations, with some organizations than do with others. And I think, but you got to find the right fit. And when you do, it's magic. No, you're absolutely right. And it's something that it, 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 it's got to be a big part of your day if you're a sales manager for a company every single day. And if you've got regional managers that work for you, you have to be making sure that you're bringing them along and they understand completely how, how the company's point of view is as it relates to that, you know, that method of, uh, of selling your products to, to the end users, to the dealers or whoever it is. It's it's a serious deal because I, I, I see it eroding a little bit uh, more than I, I mean, years ago, you know, I don't know what it was tied to. It was more exclusive. They had less products. I don't know what it was, but it was, it seemed like for years, a certain rep had the representation of a certain product forever. And today that's, it seems like um, those lines don't live in certain rep houses as long as they used to for whatever the reason. So it's certainly an area where I think Everybody as manufacturers reflect inward and see if they're really doing it by the numbers. It's really important. I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. Uh, I want to move on to a new topic, um, a topic that uh, may at first uh, appear as though it's not uh, relevant to our hospitality uh, component of our tabletop discussions here. But I want to talk about professional tabletop products and, uh, and how they match up with what consumers may be looking for in the gifts business. We're in the holiday season right now. Uh, I, I, I see some uh, professional tabletop people um, you know, t- sticking their toe in the water of the consumer business, either through uh, going direct to consumer with uh, websites and, and, and all that, or going through retail, what I would call traditional retailers. Uh, Greg, you, you spent a lot of time in the retail business with uh, cookware and houseware type products. Um, and you also have a food service background. So how do you see the consumer, what is their take when they look at a product that's, uh, quote unquote, made for this professional market? I think positively, they're, they're looking, the, the home, uh, the consumer, the retail, uh, retail consumer is looking for a lot of the same things I think that the uh, uh, food service operator is looking for. You want to you want to reduce clutter. You want things uh, 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 presented in a, in a nice appetizing dramatic way um you uh you're you're, uh, you're looking for something that that you can store easily you can uh, that you can you can uh, that is easy to use it's all the same it's all the same things in ma- in many ways and uh and this kind of professional uh, uh food service tabletop look 
is 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 popular. It's hard to uh, define exactly what that is, but you can look at a lot of things and go, yeah, that looks like it would be from a re- from a restaurant, and that's the kind of thing that I think that's that's uh, that's popular now. You even see people advertising their product as, as restaurant quality, which is an interesting statement. Do you think there's a premium that the consumer sees in in a product that's made uh, for the restaurant market? I think so. I think so. I, mean, I, I don't know exactly what that uh, what that premium would be, but I think that it is above, you know, above what the uh, retail, retail retail price would be. You know, we're looking at the you know the retail products being the ceramic or what have you, chipping and all that. You know, the consumers. I, I deal with it all the time, uh, and, and and I see them, you know, saying, "Well, would the professional product be more durable? Would it stand up better?" You know, those are the kind of questions I hear constantly. Yeah, I mean, it's a big swing, too, because uh, not so long ago, uh, if something was a quote-unquote restaurant-grade product, that was ne- not necessarily a good thing. And now I, I actually think the swing has been uh, uh, strong enough so you can almost say that the restaurant uh, business is leading uh, the consumer business. People want to replicate that restaurant experience to the extent that they can in their home. Uh, and they want to use those products and they want to have a, you know, a, a professional quality espresso, for instance, or, you know, whatever, or dinnerware or glassware. Well, it goes beyond that. It's like it's stuff like uh, things like uh, taco holders. You know, these in, for, for the mass market. You know, I'm sure they ended. They were in, in certain pockets and ethnic ethnic markets. But for the mass market, you know, there wasn't anything like that except for restaurants and now it's 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 commonplace in any kitchenware store um um you know french fry holders uh that thing you know cone the things like that are, are are proliferating jay you 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 handle both for social you handle both the hospitality and in the in the retail sector right how do you see because you use this uh, you the only difference really is in the packaging is that correct yeah, in our in our particular line, uh, the glass is all made for hospitality use first, and then uh, you know putting it into into special configurations so you hit a price point is, is the big factor. the The other thing is, which is really interesting, Greg, where you can relate to this. I mean, one of the things if you're not showing everything in open stock, the packaging in many cases becomes as important as the product, or maybe even more because it's doing all the selling for you. You have to have packaging in retail that screams to the customer, come over and open me or take a look at me, pick me up. You're doing it correctly, but about 70% of the sales completed by the by how the customer reacts to the look at that packaging. And if it forces them to say, I got to go over and look at it, or compels them to say, I got to go over and look at this, pick it up, then chances are they're, they're going to buy that product. Um, are you finding that, Greg, or is the place that you, you, you work with in does, does a lot of open stock, I think, don't they? Quite a bit of, quite a bit of open yeah, stock. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I, I think to, to, to the point, and I don't want to beat our good friend the Glencairn Glass uh, <laughs> to death with all this, but, but I think that uh, when people see that in a bar or a restaurant or in a, uh, in a, in a uh, let's call it a, an advertisement maybe for a scotch or, or any other kind of whiskey, um, you know, they, people want to have what the professionals have. No, you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a two way street. And I think that, uh, you know, the, it started out with, uh, I mean, I remember being in Boston when the, when the trend kind of started where people would buy up China from old cruise ships and flatware and all of this stuff. And sometimes it was purchased because it was almost an antique thing. But really, the motivation was, you know, this is durable stuff. It, it, it was used in a restaurant. I mean, it's got to be 
it's got to be good. So, you know, I, and I, and I think today when you, you mentioned Glenn Caringlass at restaurant tours, in some cases are seeing products transition over into the hospitality side that were, you know, basically a retail product. Like the bone marrow spoon, like the bone marrow spoon, I might might add. Like the bone marrow spoon. <laughs> it, it, it's paid sampling, yeah. I think that the tabletop manufacturers who are focused specifically on hospitality would do well to enhance their brand uh, recognition, however they would do that. And so that cons- that would ha- that product might have some consumer appeal rather than it's just a generic restaurant plate. And when I say that, uh, I think of companies like Rosenthal I keep, uh, in terms of China, um, I, you know, there, there's there's others too, but uh, but the flatware pieces, you know, the, the heavier gauge flat where uh, heavier weight things I think that to be known as a hospitality supplier uh, you know and, and have your products available to consumers I think should be a great area of first of all incremental business for tabletop suppliers and perhaps higher margin incremental business yeah you know I, I think you're absolutely correct and I, I think one thing too and this just popped into my head but you know Years ago, uh, hospitality, the tabletop specifically, was more, you know, kind of like commodity china, commodity flatware, commodity glassware. And I think what's happened is, it's, you know, it's really evident in the fine dining segment. But if a customer is eating off of a Villarambach plate or a Rosenthal plate and they're, they're using uh, Walco or Oneida's upscale flatware, which is 1810, very heavy stuff, or they maybe even use a silver plate, and then they're drinking nice wine out of uh, a good wine glass because the consumer is more educated in all three of those categories than they ever were before that I think the trend from retail forced the restaurant operator to take a hard look at what the more, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, a more affluent person who's going to fine dine multiple times in the course of a week is not going to go in and drink a $25 glass of wine out of a, a dollar and a half wine glass. So I think retail's, Retail customers have had a dramatic effect on how the tabletop has changed in the restaurant business. Absolutely. Regardless of the shape, wine just tastes better out of a better glass. And, and I think that's the way it is with food in general. It's just it's just the way that we perceive things. Yep. Your eyes and your nose and your and your palate do all the tasting. You're absolutely right. And then into the feel and the feel of the product, the weight of the product. These are all very important things, and I think that uh, pretty tactile. Yeah, it's 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 coming it's coming around. I think that both, uh, uh, you know, th- those thoughts have always been there, but I think there again, there's a resurgence on both the retail and professional level. We've got we've had a couple of great topics this week, and we're going to run short on time, but we've got a couple more that we like. Uh, the one that I wanted to talk about today, which we won't have time for, but we'll save for another episode, is the what are, what's the impact of tariffs on both uh, on tabletop products, both on the consumer side and on the hospitality side. I really want to dig into that and get your gentlemen's thoughts uh, on that issue. But I want to thank you both. It's been a great, a great roundtable. And uh, don't forget the kebab plate idea. That's a great idea, too. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us on this week's uh, edition of Every Other Thursday. We'll see you next time. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com 
where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.